The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all, to just right layers perfect for changing weather, to sun smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays, every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. A long, narrow road snakes through Badlands National Park. Two roads, really, but they carve a single path through the north unit of the park. South Dakota State Highway 240, or Badlands Loop Road, ironically doesn't provide a loop through the park. Rather, the loop is formed when it exits the park to the north and connects to other roads that bring you back to the easternmost entrance. But the gravel track of Sage Creek Rim Road continues the path inside the park to the western wilderness area. The craggy hills that define the Badlands flank the road with their bands of colored striations, layering variations of browns and grays and reds throughout the park. Depending on the degree of erosion, the hills may look like majestic castles, lumpy, unfinished pottery, or origami, with the hills folded in upon themselves. Traveling from east to west on the park road, the jagged badlands give way to the rounder yellow mounds, highlighted with vermilion and violet streaks, and finally to grassland prairie, often teeming with wildlife, where lucky visitors can spot bison rolling in the dirt with bighorn sheep grazing nearby. Particularly at dusk or dawn, often called the golden hour, when the amber glow of the sun low in the sky paints the landscape in the brightest palette of colors, wildlife sightings abound. While these large, hard-to-miss mammals command our attention, you might notice an intriguing sight if you look down. Beneath the rolling grassland lies an intricate housing system and social network keep an eye on the prairie dog burrows, small sandy hills dotting the ground. Black-tailed prairie dogs pop in and out of their burrows in the prairie dog towns, chattering and gesturing. But amid all the prairie dogs, if you're a keen observer, you may also notice what appears to be a small owl emerging from the burrows. These species, the black-tailed prairie dog and the burrowing owl, have a unique type of symbiotic relationship and ultimately may experience a shared demise. Here's Abigail. Across the open grasslands of Badlands National Park, cone-shaped mounds with holes in the center dot the landscape. In fact, there is an enormous colony off the Park Loop Road that has been given its own name, Robert's Prairie Dog Town. These cleverly engineered entrances to prairie dog burrows are constructed to deflect water away from the burrow and also serve as lookout points where the prairie dogs act as sentries scanning for predators. The burrows are extensive systems of tunnels and chambers and carefully architected for the various functions of prairie dog life. Separate chambers for sleeping, for nurseries, storage rooms, rooms for excrement, disposal of the dead, chambers close to the surface used as listening posts for above-ground activity, as well as secondary exits that can be used as escape routes in case of emergency. 
With their short, strong arms and long-nailed toes, prairie dogs are very efficient diggers. In addition to their complex, manually constructed physical environment, prairie dogs display a complex social structure as well. Within the colony, which could consist of thousands of individuals, the prairie dogs cluster in family-type groupings called coteries. One adult male, several adult females, and the young from their yearly litter of up to eight pups, half of whom may not survive their first year. A single coterie can have as many as 50 to 60 separate entrances where the prairie dogs can slip in when escaping from the many predators that also call Badlands National Park home. The black-footed ferret, coyotes, bobcats, badgers, foxes, rattlesnakes, as well as birds of prey are all threats to the prairie dog. Small in stature, about a foot tall and weighing one to three pounds, prairie dogs are unlike many other rodent species. They mate only once a year, exercising a form of population control on their contained community. Prairie dogs do not mate for life, and the males often move to different coteries from one mating season to the next. The females from a coterie, however, often stay together. For the first month or two of life, the pups are nursed by their mother underground in their den. Once they emerge from the burrow, they may be nursed communally by other females from the coterie. Like with human families, not everyone gets along all the time. Even within a coterie, but especially between groupings of coteries within a colony, requiring the ability to discern friend from foe. Aggressive behavior is not uncommon, and diligent adherence to social structures can be necessary to ward off intercoterie attacks. For the most part, aside from rare females who can easily transit the colony, there is no socializing between coteries. Prairie dogs don't typically enter the physical space of other coteries. They do, however, cooperate in their vigilance against predators. Prairie dog calls transmit richly detailed information to others in the colony via barks and chirps through a complicated language consisting of varying frequencies and pitch. According to Scientific American, prairie dogs have the most sophisticated vocal language ever decoded, even better than chimps, dolphins, and orcas. They can distinguish in their verbalization different types of predators and describe their physical characteristics and even create new calls to describe things they've never seen before. Their vocalizations alert other members of the colony to threats and disturbances, express territorial defense, and even an all-clear call when imminent danger seems to have passed, with nuanced details that tell the clan how close or imminent the danger may be. And while prairie dogs don't socialize within the entire colony, their structure serves as a form of cooperation, a prairie dog will sound an alarm call or anti-predator call to alert everyone to a predator, even though this alarm call places the vocalizing animal in extreme danger, as the predator can locate it from the call itself. It's a dire matter of survival of the species. As you watch these animated rodents pop in and out of their burrow holes, you may notice something different. A tawny, rounded head with amber eyes may crest the burrow mound, it's clearly not a prairie dog, but there it sits, nodding its head at eye level at the burrow entrance. As you train your binoculars on it, in a flash it's gone, soaring out of the burrow on spotted wings. You've just met your first burrowing owl. If push comes to shove, burrowing owls can dig their own burrows, if the ground is soft enough. 
But with their squat shape and long skinny legs, not to mention their absence of arms, their build is not suited to this type of task. Hence, they become opportunistic squatters in existing burrows abandoned by prairie dogs, preferring holes at the periphery of large active colonies. It's easy to tell which holes are occupied by burrowing owls. Their entryways are usually littered with a whitewash of their waste. In the burrow, they'll lay 6 to 12 eggs and nest and brood there in their own small colonies in clusters of abandoned burrows on the outskirts of the prairie dog town. Gaining protection from the larger community, the burrowing owl adds its own protections both inside and outside its burrow. Retreating from a predator, a burrowing owl will return to the relative safety of its borrowed burrow and imitate the sound of a rattlesnake to deter the predator. Additionally, to mask the scent of an owl burrow, they'll arrange collected feces of large mammals, typically herbivores, at the entrance. This deters predators like badgers and carries an added benefit. The odor of the dung attracts one of the owl's favorite food sources, the dung beetle. The burrowing owl's diet is varied. In addition to insects and small rodents, they eat frogs and toads, lizards and small snakes, turtles, and several variety of cactus. But sometimes the burrowing owl will be opportunistic in its diet in other ways, eating dead or baby prairie dogs from its hosting colony. The charming story of the burrowing owl relying on the industrious efforts of the prairie dog brings with it a dark side. The decline in prairie dog populations across North America has resulted in a decline in burrowing owls as well. Historically, the burrowing owl doesn't nest in burrows of abandoned colonies, since this symbiotic relationship leverages not just the physical structure of the burrow, but also the alarm calls of the prairie dog's sentinels. The prairie dog, with its significant and often destructive impact on the prairie landscape, has fallen from favor over a period of many decades, centuries even. Long considered vermin or a pest, a large-scale elimination of prairie dog colonies has resulted from farmland extermination and disposition due to commercial construction sites. As the prairie dog colonies are destroyed, the burrowing owls lose their home and potentially their unhatched eggs or fledglings. Furthermore, if the prairie dogs are poisoned, the owls living in the colony will usually die of the poison as well whether directly from ingesting it or indirectly from eating the dead prairie dogs. With the decline of available prairie dog burrows, some populations of burrowing owls are moving to open field nesting, even in vulnerable places such as airports, industrial sites, and golf courses. The decrease in burrowing owl populations is dire enough in some areas that they are considered regionally endangered or threatened. In light of the move to eradicate prairie dogs in areas where they are considered a negative impact, places such as Badlands National Park offer a protective environment for them to thrive and even expand their colonies. And hence their symbiotic partner, the burrowing owl, thrives as well. Within the park, the threats to prairie dogs and burrowing owls are simply those of nature, predators, and disease. Badlands National Park in western South Dakota is open year-round and features some of the most striking and surprising landscapes in the United States. While most national parks have a stay-on-the-trail policy, in Badlands, visitors are allowed to wander at will, even scampering up the rapidly eroding formations as bits of gravel scrabble down the path under their feet. 
The harsh, beautiful landscape is punctuated by seasonally intense weather and unpredictable storms. When charcoal-colored skies lie heavy on the hills and the fierce wind collects bits of the constant erosion and tosses them about, causing visitors to run for shelter against the pelting debris. In addition to the geology and wildlife, Badlands National Park hosts diverse plant life, including wildflowers, trees, juniper bushes, with their characteristic berries, blooming cactus, and stands of yucca. The park also contains many fossils, some of which are still discovered by visitors today. Note that as of fall 2021, the south unit of the park is closed due to COVID in accordance with Ogallala Sioux Tribe ordinances. You can combine a trip to Badlands National Park with the other national park units in western South Dakota, such as Wind Cave National Park, Jewel Cave National Monument, Mount Rushmore National Memorial, and Minuteman Missile National Historic Site for a vacation of varied experiences in landscapes, wildlife, caving, and military history. Additionally, it's a short two-and-a-half-hour drive to Devil's Tower National Monument in eastern Wyoming. Prairie dogs and burrowing owls can be found in other national parks, including nearby Wind Cave, as well as Theodore Roosevelt, Great Sand Dunes, Lake Mead, and others. As with all wildlife, please keep your distance. They may seem small, adorable, and harmless, but prairie dogs can and do bite, and some carry sylvatic plague bacteria, which causes bubonic plague in humans. Fortunately, a vaccination program in Badlands National Park has reduced but not eliminated the spread of plague in the prairie dog population. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, narrated by Abigail Trebu, and written by Lauren Eisenberg Davis. We hope you'll consider supporting us through our Patreon program for less than a dollar an episode. You can help us make these episodes possible by hiring writers to track down the stories you care about at patreon.com slash national parks podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. If you're interested in RV travel, check out rvmiles.com and find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys as our wandering family all across social media. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.